Welcome to another episode of Campus Life, the college side of our flagship podcast here at Campus to Canton. As always, I am Austin. And this is Colin. Episode 83 of Campus Life, inching closer and closer to 100. I think we have a fun show uh, for this week, Colin, centered on the transfer portal. Uh, doing a do an entire episode here, basically just dedicated to all of the movement we've seen this offseason. What are our favorite moves uh, so far? Uh, and I suspect we'll be talking a lot, you know, doing at least one of these shows every offseason moving forward because it's becoming such an important part uh, of college football with the uh, the automatic waiver uh, and uh, just the you know the it's fun to say I entered the portal like as, as opposed to just like I'm I'm transferring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think this is going to be a staple of our shows moving forward. It's, you know, every year there's so many teams, there's so many players that move like every year and it just keeps getting more and more and eventually, yeah, maybe it'll level off, but you know, these guys with NIL, they want to go get the bag. They want to get some more playing time and you know, they're not afraid to go make it happen. Yeah, so I, tonight, just to give everyone a preview of what we're going to do tonight here, uh, we we have a piece of news. Surprise, surprise, it is transfer portal related. Um, and then we're going to talk about our top 10 transfers for the 2022 season, uh, mostly from just a this increased this player's value uh, perspective, not necessarily like this was the most important one. So you'll, you'll notice maybe our order is a little off in terms of like the the biggest name. Uh, that transferred this off season. Uh, but we'll get more into that in a few minutes. And it is really interesting. We pulled probably 30 names to look at this list. And realistically, if we wanted to, we could go, you know, 60, 70, 80 names Easy. deep. Um, because there there are just a lot of impactful transfers. So so we have we have our 10, our top 10. We have some honorable mentions. And um if a name that, that you like didn't show up here, uh, it's probably just because there are so many transfers that we can't list them all here tonight. Uh, and the order is suspect in the first place. So don't get your undies in a bunch if uh, we have a name a little off where you would put them. Um, so uh, it was very, very non-scientific process, I would say. Um, so, guys, before we hop in here, just a quick reminder. If you could give us a five-star rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts, that'd be great. It helps us bump up uh, the charts, get a little more visibility. Uh, and obviously, we would like for that to happen so if you could give that a, ch- a shot for us that would be great uh the other thing uh if you have not checked out campuscan.com yet uh obviously uh where we get our name from the the website that we are affiliated with uh go ahead and check it out um a ton of stuff on there that does not require any membership articles um uh, the podcast and the youtube channel all of that content obviously uh for the most but 98 of articles and everything else uh, 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 free uh, to view there. Uh, and then if you want to check out more of the site, if you just want to, you know, toss us a couple bucks because we get you through your week with all the different podcasts we have, memberships start as low as two ninety nine a month. So go ahead, check all that stuff out, guys. Uh, and uh, the new Debbie guides on there as well, $20. Um, so so go ahead, check all of that out. Um, let's get into the episode here, shall we? This podcast is a part of the Fantasy Points Media Group. Uh, a ton of great podcasts, ton of great shows. That they're expanding into YouTube content. They did a um, uh, like a hot sauce episode for their C- their their uh, new kind of CFF group that's over there. Uh, so go ahead, check all those things out over there. Fantasy Points Live on Twitter uh, recaps the entire week. Uh, does a weekly Friday drop. Um, news, Colin. News. Really, one piece of like 
real fantasy relevant news here. Um, and that's the transfer of Kobe Lewis to Purdue. Uh, this was a pretty quick transfer saga. Lewis, uh, formerly of um, Central Michigan. Thank you. That just went completely out of my head. Central Michigan. Got you. It was supposed to share a backfield this offseason with Lou Nichols. Was supposed to share a backfield last year with Lou Nichols and then went down in preseason with an injury. Um, so this is probably wheels up for Lou Nichols. We're not really going to talk about that uh, uh, from this perspective. He, he's going to produce again this year. We, we've been a little skeptical on him, but but that, this means that he's going to be the guy there. Uh, but let's focus on Lewis to Purdue, um, a school that doesn't really have a recent history of, of, of top and running back production, mostly because they haven't had very much talent at the running back position. Lewis is probably the best back that they've had there in the past, I don't know, five to seven years. I mean, that's about as long as far back as I've kind of been looking at this stuff. So I, I don't have too much more of a background beyond that. Um, but your thoughts on Kobe Lewis to Purdue here uh, for, for CFF for 2022? For CFF, um, I think he'll have some weeks that'll be startable. You know, he'll be like a flex worthy guy depending on the matchup. But I mean, typically in Brahms system, you want the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, you know, that's where you're, that's where you make your money uh, on Brahms system. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, Kobe Lewis can't be productive. I think he will be, you know, he's probably their best bet to have a thousand yards that they've had there in a while. Um, you know, King Daru's there, but I think he's more just a guy. I think Lewis is more talented. So I, I like it for Lewis, and I also like it for him for an NFL draft perspective, honestly, because, yeah, I mean, Lou Nichols is going to stay at Central Michigan, and he's going to tear it up. And, you know, he's going to have a fantastic year this year and probably next year, and until he ends up deciding to come out. But he's still doing it against the MAC competition at Central Michigan. I don't know how much the NFL is going to wait that. Whereas if Kobe Lewis puts up a thousand yards at Purdue, yeah, I mean, I think he's got a shot to get drafted, you know? So I think this is a good all around move for Kobe Lewis. And he got the bag, like he wanted to mention on Twitter. I'm not so sure that this makes him draftable. I'd actually be shocked if he gets drafted in the NFL next year. Um, but I do like the step up for him. Uh, his uh, second year, 2019, was really the year where he kind of broke out. You know, first year, really, really limited. Uh, uh, had like 10 carries, uh, but that's that second year in 14 games, he had uh, 182 carries for 1,074 yards and 12 touchdowns, and he had 23 catches for 164 yards. He can catch the ball, uh, decently well. He's uh, like 5'11, 220 ish, I believe. That's what he's listed at, at at Central Michigan, at least. I think that's a little high. I don't, I don't think he quite weighs that much, but like he, he does have good size. I do think he's the most well-rounded back there at Purdue. Uh, I am interested to see if usage for Brom was uh, more out of necessity. Like they just have not recruited that position well at all in recent times. I mean, they, they, their backfield consists of Doru and then it's like Samson James, who was a cast off at Indiana. And that backfield is not good. I, I mean, it's just not there. There really are not very many talented players in this backfield. Just, and with as much receiver production as Purdue has lost this offseason, obviously losing David Bell to the NFL draft, losing Milton Wright, academically ineligible. Like at some point you can only get so far down the wide receiver depth chart before you're saying, well, maybe we have to switch things up a little bit. And they do still have Tyron Tracy. Uh, they have Curtis Devil, a guy that I really, really like coming in this year. I actually might be writing a uh, an article 
uh, that features him that Ooh. should be out in the next couple of days. Uh, and they do have Payne, uh, Payne Durham but that, and Brock Thompson. So they, st- they do still have some options, but it's, it's kind of a drop-off in terms of how proven are you. So I, I do think they're going to try to highlight the running back position a little bit more. Um, does that mean Lewis is going to be the guy there? I'm not sure. I think that's still kind of unclear. But I think he'll he'll do fine there. And uh, he has two years of eligibility if he wants it. So this could be a guy where maybe it's not even a 2022 play. Maybe it's more of a 2023 play, which feels weird to say about a guy that's like 22 or 23 years old already. But uh, it, it is what it is at this point in the offseason. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point about, you know, the wide receiver depth chart being pretty thin at this point. You know, they lost Rondale, then they lost, um, you know, from Dave, from last year, they lost David Bell, Milton Wright. So, you know, like you said, you can only get so far down. Then they brought in Tracy. They brought in somebody else from Iowa, too. I can't remember who that was, um, but it's sounding like it's probably going to be like Tracy Brock Thompson. Um, will be like the two top guys this year. And Brock Thompson struggled to stay healthy, too. So, you know, who knows how long he'll last. Then it's just Tyron Tracy. So, and Payne Durham, you said, you know, I think that's a good uh, highlight at the tight end position there. But yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them switching to running the ball a little bit more. I, I still don't think Brahms offense is ever going to be run heavy, but yeah, I, I think that they'll, the, Brahm is a smart enough guy that he'll highlight his best players. If I remember correctly, Brahm did have a year, at least one year at Western Kentucky, where he was previously, where he had a running back put up a huge season. So like it's not it's not like he's never ever done it. I, I mean, it always is like the chicken and the egg thing, especially in college where you know it's not the NFL. You have a little more access to the players that you want. So for a lot of these guys, you know, system versus you know just talent and stuff kind of goes out the door because they you know are getting mostly the guys they want. I mean, obviously, if you asked if you could give Brom Jameer Gibbs, you would probably take Jameer Gibbs. But you know, th- this is the, the 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 pond that he's fishing out of. So, um, I. I it's a good move. I think it's more exciting, obviously, than Lewis at um, at Central Michigan, where he was going to be at, at best kind of a 1B. Um, I know our CFF group is pushing for him hard to go to like Ohio or Buffalo or something, um, but it sounds like maybe he wanted to step up in competition. So good for him. Um, I think that's all we need to say on on Kobe Lewis. Do you have, I mean, and do we want to talk Lou Nichols ramifications? It looks before, like, at best, he'd probably get 60 to 65% of the touches, and now he's going to do what he did again last year, right? The non-conference yeah. sucks, but the conference schedule is is sexy. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for – you and I were both a little bit more skeptical on Lou Nichols repeating the performance this year. I mean, he exploded down the stretch once he got into Mac play, and it took the Kobe Lewis injury for him to really take over that backfield. Kobe Lewis was going to be back. Then the start of the season, it's kind of a rough non-con, so – you know, we were both a little bit off of Nichols, but with this transfer, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't want to start him every week like in the first couple matchups there. But once it hits Mac play, you know, it's going to be wheels up for him. He's going to be in contention for RB1 every single week. Yeah, I, I think he was. The, the Lou Nichols thing always... Um... I know this is like, you can't necessarily make this argument, but the Lou Nichols thing for me always kind of felt like... Um this guy exploded down the stretch and probably won people championships. So there's definitely an attachment to a guy that's won you a championship. If he had had that hot stretch at the beginning of the year and then been not so hot down the stretch, I think we'd have as a collective uh, college fantasy slash C2C slash whatever, I think we'd have a slightly different 
opinion on him. That being said, that's a very hard distinction to make because he plays a fairly difficult non-conference schedule. And then the Mac is, is, you know, just so, so easy. Um, so it, it feels like an unthink, un- unfair thing to say about that. But I, I do think, again, if you flipped the, per- the the late season performance with the beginning last year, I think we'd have a slightly different opinion on Lou Nichols. Not like we wouldn't hate him, but top two, top three, top four CFF back. I don't know that he'd quite be valued uh, in that range. But, hey, you know, what have you done for me lately? And he's probably won a lot of people championships. Like, he knocked me out of at least one uh, championship run last year. So screw him. Yeah. <laughs> What a bum. All right. Um, let's get into some transfers here, Colin. Uh, so like I said at the beginning of the show, guys, uh, top 10 transfers for the 2022 season is what we're going to talk about here. Again, this was very unscientific how we ranked these guys. We basically sat here and said, from a value perspective, who who saw kind of the biggest shift uh, based on a transfer this season? Uh, the, the, the top guy, number one, is not a name that you'd expect to be number one. Uh, although I think you'd certainly expect him to be on this list. Uh, and it's honestly, from a value perspective, a little bit of a cheating answer. But, yeah. you know, um, we do we do 52 of these shows a week, people, or a year, people. Okay. At some point, like, just bite me. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you're getting aggressive with our audience. They haven't even come at us yet, you know? Colin, I'm cutting this off before it gets going. Okay. Preemptively, aggressively. All, all of the hate mail I get throughout the week, it's terrible. It's terrible. FBI is looking into all these people, mostly Giants fans. It always seems like they come from New York, but uh, alas. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, should we start at 10 and just work our way down this list here, Colin? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, so, first on the list here is the transfer of Jordan Addison. And I'm sure at this point you're already seeing how, uh, how this list is going to be a little different than you probably thought. <laughs> probably thought Jordan to you see and I swear have any uh this um but heading uh Blitnikoff winner big year pit last year heading to USC for his third year pairing up with Caleb Williams Lincoln Riley and company um a big year last year one of the top uh, uh fantasy wide receivers uh in all of college um so Colin oh this this probably does boost his value a little bit. I don't know how much. How, what, what are we doing here with Jordan Addison? Did this move him up at all for you? I mean, from a CFF perspective, it it's more it's a little bit of a step down, only because that wide receiver room's a little bit more crowded. But it's not anything significant. I still think he's going to have a huge year. Um, you know, he may not be the Blitnikoff Award winner this year, but he'll still have a big year. You and I disagree a little bit that him going to USC raises his profile. I think it raises it a little bit. And, you know, I understand where you're coming from in that, you know, he's a Blitnikoff award winner. He, how, you know, how much can you raise that profile? But I think it more solidifies him as assuming he, you know, doesn't fall flat on his face. I think it solidifies him as a first round NFL wide receiver. Um, and then I still think he's, he's probably, you know, in the, in the back end of the wide receiver one conversation this year for CFF instead of, you know, the wide receiver one consideration. But yeah, I mean, I still think overall good decision for Addison. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the Blitnikoff, we've talked about this on other sh- on on previous shows here. Um, like the there there's been what like one or two Blitnikoff winners in the past 20 years that haven't gone at least day two. I mean, it's really, really rare for those guys to fall. Uh the large majority of them go 
round one, half of round two. So I, I'm not sure, you know, in terms of, of profile, how much it actually boosted him. It is undoubtedly a better quarterback situation at um, at, yeah. at USC. I think the the person that wants to to be a contrarian or or, or just kind of be annoying, I uh, would say Keaton Slovis just got a wide receiver drafted top 10 in the NFL draft, different receivers, different offenses. Um, so we'll see. But I think, you know, t- for a guy that probably already was like at minimum, we're going to go like the 48th pick. This, I don't know how much of a boost this actually is. And he probably was going to be at worst, like the, the or like realistically, like the 30th, it's a 25th to 30th pick is kind of felt like where he'd go. So does he boost that much higher than that? I don't know. But it, it's a solid landing platform. It's not like he went to, you know, it's not like he's completely sold out, went to a school with no quarterback. It's not like he went to Wisconsin yeah. or something because they offered him $10 million. Like he, he went to a school that's also a good situation. So whatever. And Texas would have been good too. Yeah, but now he's in LA. So LA, I've heard it's not even that much better than Pittsburgh. I don't know. I've actually never been to LA. I've been to Pittsburgh. Though. Know, I've lovely, Pittsburgh. lovely city. Thank you, Colin. I really, really uh, appreciate that. Um, all right. So I, th- is, you know, I think that's all we got to say about Jordan Addison. It didn't move him yeah. in my rankings at all. I, I think no. I kept him in the same spot. He's like my wide receiver five or six or something. Yeah. Um, might be a little, might be seven, but he's in that range. Um, all right. Number nine, Dylan Gabriel, formerly a UCF Golden Knight, headed over to Oklahoma. Dylan Gabriel has been a fairly productive guy. Uh, in terms of, you know, just putting up college stats. Uh, his f- true freshman year, 2019, had 3,600 yards passing, 29 touchdowns, seven interceptions, very efficient. The next year, uh, almost the same amount of yards, th- 3,570, 32 touchdowns, four interceptions. Um, the, the caveat with those two years were that he had a very low completion percentage, and part of it's because he was in an offense that was really aggressive. Uh, he likes to push the ball downfield. Uh, Josh Hype likes to push the ball downfield, so... Uh, th- that was a really nice match uh, made in heaven last year. Uh, new coaching staff there um, really, really kind of lowered the A dot. His A dot his first two years, 11.9, 11.6 last year was 8.9. Didn't, didn't improve his completion percentage, um, but, but not a great year. And then obviously got injured uh, fairly early on there. Third game of the season, um, Oklahoma, he'll be surrounded probably by some better talent. Although I don't think their wide receiver room is, amazing right now at least not as compared to their past couple years um but regardless a chance to put up some numbers in a power five conference so that has to boost his value at least a little bit right yeah absolutely i I think that this is a very deserving spot for dylan gabriel because one this is going to be a better system for him to put up numbers in college than it would have been at ucf under gus malzahn um jeff levy is has a good system I think he'll get back to he'll get Dylan Gabriel back to doing what he does best, you know, kind of pushing the ball downfield, getting it out quickly. You know, I, I think it's going to be a good system for him. And then not only that, but it is also going to be in the power five. So he does he has a chance to raise his profile as well. I mean, you you hear some people that like Dylan Gabriel, um, you know, pre-injury, you know, there was a little bit of buzz about him, but he was doing it at UCF. Uh, so you know, I don't think the NFL would have thought that highly of him, especially because he doesn't necessarily have the tools, um, the raw tools that some other prospects do. And I know you like to highlight his lack of arm strength. Um, so, but getting a chance to do it in the power five at a blue blood school like Oklahoma, I think that's going to matter. 
so I think this is all around a good decision for Dylan Gabriel. Um, I mean, it's certainly not a worse situation. It seems like that offense now, Gus Malzahn, it's, he likes to have a rusher. In reality, he really doesn't even like to have a quarterback. He likes athletic guy on the field. Um, so in terms of uh, of matching up, and, and obviously Jalen Robinson left as well. So uh, he's his top receiver there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I've been – I think I've been very vocal for those that, that have um, – uh, we talked a lot about this last offseason. This was a big debate between you and I, Colin. I don't think he has uh, an NFL arm. I, I think he's below below the Trask line. He's been moderately, yes, he's been moderately <laughs> effective passing it down the field. But I think, as I've talked about, like he throws these like thirty to forty yard uh, deeper passes on like a line that's really not going to work in the NFL. He's going to get eaten alive. Um, I mean, he ran the same offense basically that Hendon Hooker ran last year, and Hendon Hooker killed it compared to what he did from like a completion perspective. Sixty-eight percent, same offense, eight percentage points higher. I think that tells you all you need to know. And Hendon Hooker were kind of iffy on in terms of like whether he's a real Devi asset. Like maybe day two is kind of where he goes. I, I, I kind of struggle to see day one. I know some people. Alfred really likes him. Uh, one of the guys here at C two C. Seeing stuff like that, that those kind of disparities just makes me really wonder about him. I they don't have anybody behind him in Oklahoma, so I really unless he's just terrible, I don't think he's going to get. He's not going to get benched. I'm not going to say I don't think he will. He won't. He just straight up won't. So, but I, I, I do think this might be a revealing year for him, especially again with Marvin Mims and then like a lot of really big question marks there at wide receiver. Yeah, well, I mean, they brought in LV Bunkley Shelton, which I th- think. I don't know how much it's like you didn't even listen to last week's future freshman podcast column. I actually didn't. Our very own Nate Marquise was on the show and he's a resident Oklahoma expert. He said he basically is. LV's a, 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 a get for 2023. He thinks the big huh. three this year will be Farouk, uh, Mims and uh, Weiss. So um, yeah, for what that's worth. Fair enough. Um, but I like LV Bunkley Shelton. So I like him more than Farouk or Weiss, but yeah, I mean, step up and, and skill talent around him too. Um, all right. Number eight on this list, uh, Corey Kiner uh, leaving LSU there after one year was a four-star running back in the 2021 recruiting class. Um, saw some work in a very crowded backfield there 79 carries last year 324 yards two touchdowns had a couple of catches as well actually returned a couple of uh, uh kicks i believe as well uh, weirdly enough i don't think that's really uh his skill set but whatever um headed back home to cincinnati from from ohio originally from the cincinnati area um they the cincinnati loses jerome ford really they lose the large majority of their offense from last year um, so they got to rebuild that a little bit. He wasn't there for spring, so uh, we're not sure exactly where he'll slot in, but it doesn't sound like the staff was particularly happy with any running backs they had on the roster. So he has as good of a chance as anybody, and they do generally like to have a guy that that gets the majority of the carries there. So it stands to reason that he probably has a better chance to do that at Cincinnati than he did at LSU. Um, what do you think about this move uh, for Kiner, Colin? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a slam dunk for for the CFF side of things. 
given how crowded that LSU backfield is, you know, I've had a couple people ask about, you know, what do we think about that LSU backfield? And the answer is I have no idea what to think. There's so many bodies there. It's, and it's a new staff. They're not really tied to anybody. I don't know what's going to happen with that LSU backfield, but I, one thing I can tell you is I feel very confident that Corey Kiner will get more carries at Cincinnati than what he would have gotten at LSU. And that is even with like the later transfer, you know, he wasn't there in the spring. Um, but there wasn't anybody else. There's not anybody else on that roster running back wise. That is the talent that he is. You know, we thought maybe Ryan Montgomery could be decent for CFF, but nobody was really excited about it. Whereas Corey Kiner, I think, you know, I, I think that this is a good level for him. I think he can step in right away. And like you said, they lost a ton off of that offense. Ritter, they lost Ford, they lost Alec Pierce on the outside too. Uh, they're going to be breaking in a young quarterback in Evan Prater, who's very raw. Um, at least the last time we saw him, you know, we haven't really seen him in much action in the last two years. But, you know, I'm assuming he's still going to be a little bit raw. You know, it'll take him a little bit to get up. And you can just ride Corey Kiner in the running game here. Um, you know, I not exactly sure what their non-con looks like this year. Um, I'm sure, I don't think they have Notre Dame on it. Yeah, yeah it's not quite as bad as last yeah. year, but honestly, just losing at Notre Dame drops it down it's, a yeah. couple of notches. Like that's yeah. just so there, there's their schedule overall isn't going to be anything that's daunting. Um, you know, the AA, the AAC isn't they're solid, but you know, it's nothing that you're scared of. So there's probably not going to be that many matchups where you're going to be worried about playing Corey Kiner. So assuming he once he starts to get the bulk of the carries, uh, I think it's going to be wheels up for him. And I do. They they start the season with Arkansas, who is a tough matchup. Probably mm -hmm. not, obviously, again as tough as as at Notre Dame. They also have Kennesaw State. They have Indiana again this year, uh, and then they have Miami of Ohio. Man, they just so, like beating up on Indiana. Yeah, um, <laughs> poor poor little Indiana. Um, so yeah, and Cincinnati actually, I know like this isn't you know technically a, re a recruiting podcast. We don't. To dive too deep into the future classes uh cincinnati's been cleaning up in the 2023 class um they've picked up a bunch of four-star commitments lately so um just something to be aware of there the, the momentum uh has kept on as long as they get a decent quarterback player over the next couple of years uh cincinnati probably still going to be a thorn uh in some people's sides and yeah i mean i agree with young kiner there's not a lot else needs to be said there for those who haven't really seen him before he is very ceh-esque um that's kind of the guy he is lower, lower center of gravity. He's listed at five ten. I don't know that he's actually five ten. He's just that bowling ball uh, build. So uh, him at Cincinnati, though, I think two thumbs way up there. Uh, number seven, Colin uh, Montrell Johnson, running back, uh, second year running back at this point as a true freshman last year, heading from UL, uh, following his coach over to Florida. Um, Johnson last year was pretty darn good in that that raging cajun rotation that they like to do 162 carries 838 yards 12 touchdowns had a, a handful of catches as well uh, we haven't seen enough in the passing game to know whether he's a real stalwart there or not goes from one backfield with a lot of names uh, unfortunately to another florida does have a lot of guys there anybody that i love not really we figure he wouldn't have followed his coach there if he wasn't going to get some touches and from a value perspective this is probably a bump up for him because if he proves it in the SEC, probably gets drafted a little earlier than maybe he would have coming out of UL, even though they, they do have a recent reputation of producing some backs, right? Yeah, they absolutely have a, a recent reputation of producing backs. You know, they had um, 
Like there's like three of them in the one year. Ragus was one of them. Um, I can't remember the other two off the top of my head, but they always have like kind of a committee there. And, you know, they're probably you know, following the same coaching staff over to Florida, probably also going to be a bit of a committee there. Uh, they don't ever really seem to ride just one guy, but like you said, you got to figure Montreal Johnson came with his head coach with the expectation that he was going to have a role in that offense. And they lost Damian Pierce. They do bring back Naquan, Wright. He's still there. Um, Lorenzo Lingard had been getting a little bit of hype at times, you know, so they have some other pieces there, but I really think it's Montreal Johnson has a fairly safe role there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think he can replicate similarly to what his production was last year. You know, he may not be a guy that, you know, as they get into the dredges of the SEC schedule, he may not be somebody that you want to start every single week, but he's definitely going to have startable weeks for you. And I also think that he's probably the most talented back overall on that roster. Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of names on that roster, not a lot of production. So I think this was a huge stock up for Montreal. I've been pretty cautious on Montreal Johnson this offseason. I know he's been a hot name. He's one of the better guys that's available in the large majority of supplemental drafts for anybody that that uh, the league is already ex in existence. Um, he had a couple of big games last year, but I I watch him and I'm just wondering what the city hangs his hat on. Like I don't know if he's an Uber athlete. It'll be really interested to see interesting to see how he does in the SEC, especially for his size. It's 5'11", 200. So he probably needs to get 10 to 15 pounds bigger uh, for us to actually think he's a legitimate guy. Does he still check out athletically when he's already kind of an average athlete for that size? I'm not sure. Again, we don't really know how good of a pass catcher he is. Um, so we're, we're going to find out these things fairly quick on him. I think a whole year in the SEC, as long as he stays healthy, we'll get a good idea. I just like, I have him ranked kind of high. I think he's in like the late twenties, high thirties for me. And it's more of a chance of or more of a case of, uh, of a after like RB 18, I don't really know who to put there. Um, and he's just a guy that you can buy. And if he like, if he does well, then he can vault up. But if he's, if he's bad, then, then he's going to be dropping quite a bit. So I, I go back and forth on him, but I do think at least in terms of immediate value that this really, really has bumped him up this offseason. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty aggressive with my ranking of him as well. I think I have him in the mid to early twenties, my running backs. Um, like you said, that's just kind of like a dead zone for me, especially from like a Debbie perspective. There's not really anybody that I feel that great about there, but I do think if he goes in and he performs really well at Florida um, and is like the one a in that committee, like I think he very well could be, I think that's really going to boost his draft stock um, where, you know, when he was with UL, you know, it's, it's more of, you know, is he's going on day three, probably now I think there's, there's an outside shot at day two, depending on how he does in the sec. But I think even if he's still day three, I think it's an early day three, you know, I think you're looking at fourth round as opposed to before where you may've been looking at like six. So I think this is a pretty big stock up for him. I'm bullish. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I, I'm not, but I'm a hater. So uh, they're a hater on everybody. Yes. I, equal opportunity hater. Um, yeah. So uh, next, you know, we get more names in here when we do this. And uh, it's kind of hard to separate both of these duos because they were 
package deals in the portal, at least according to them. Uh, so uh, Jackson Dart, Michael Trigg here at number six, headed from USC to Ole Miss. Uh, Jackson Dart last year uh, played in six games. He started that game against Washington State, was really good, got the meniscus injury, sat out till late in the year, and then rotated with Keaton Whatever the the coaching staff, what they did to him, they should be tried at the Hague for war for war crimes. It was atrocious. Um, in those games, though, uh, completed about sixty two percent of his passes, thirteen hundred fifty three yards, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Uh, definitely, kind of a bit of a gunslinger um, at, at this stage in his career. But he's a freshman. He's uh, uh, you know, they'll, they'll figure things out there with him. His buddy, Michael Trigg, uh, big athletic tight end, only played in four games last year, also suffered a bit of an injury uh, for the uh, uh, Trojans. Seven catches, 109 yards, and a really nice touchdown. Um, Trigg was outstanding in the, the spring game. Dart, not so much, but he wasn't terrible either. Um, what are we thinking about Dart and Trigg? Do you want to talk about his package, or you kind of want to uh, pick one, and then we can talk about the second one after yeah, we'll, we'll start with Dart and then we'll, we'll hit on Trig because um, with – I mean, we'll, we'll get into Trig then. But with Dart, I think that there's – he's one of the more polarizing players um, out there right now. You know, you and I were kind of higher on him um, last year as a freshman. And like you said, the, the coaching staff did him no favors last year with the way that they handled that whole situation. He looked good in that Washington State game. Then he had the meniscus injury. He wasn't. He's not a dual threat quarterback, but he is like a mobile guy. He can extend some plays. So, you know, how much of that meniscus injury was limiting him late in the year there after he came back? I don't really know the answer to that question, Um, but he, you know, he is a gunslinger. He had some solid numbers there. You know, it's not like we're just relying strictly on what we saw in high school for him, like we are for some of the other members of the 2024 or well, um, no, 2022, um, no, 2021. Sorry. I'm all over the place with years. The 2021. I, I couldn't tell if you were trying to talk like their rookie year, their, their recruiting. Year. I was I all over the place. I was just, I was no, helpless. That's I was okay. helpless to help. That's okay. Um, but yeah, it's not like other members of that court of that class, um, where we're just strictly relying on what we saw in high school. We saw some stuff from him and there were definitely flashes there, stuff that would make you, you know, optimistic, and then, you know, goes to Ole Miss. They need a quarterback. You know, they have Altmeyer there. But the fact that they were courting multiple other quarterbacks throughout the offseason, um, you know, our, our, the other guys on this list were being courted by them as well. I think that speaks more to what they were looking for. And I think Jackson Dart really fits the mold of, you know, kind of the offense that Lane Kiffin wants to run. So I think he's a good fit there. He's going to be in the SEC. He'll have a chance to get drafted highly. Uh, if he can perform well. And then you bring his buddy, Michael Trigg, you know, his roommate from his freshman year. I imagine they're probably going to room together at Ole Miss. They were a package deal this whole time through. You know, Trigg, big athletic uh, tight end, like you were saying. You know, I think he's he's probably going to play the slot this year. He's probably going like, to operate in the slot a lot as a tight end. They're going to flex him out. So he has a chance to, uh, you know, perform really well from CFF perspective. And he has the athleticism, too, that you want to see for a, a Debbie value in a tight end. So I think both of these guys are going to have a huge opportunity to really solidify their draft stock. Very high on Trig. We've now established this on two yes. different shows in 
the last two weeks, I believe, first on Debbie Debate and now here. Um, I'm cooling a little bit on Jackson Dart. And it's not because of Chris Moxley. So I will not let him have this. This is not because he is a Jackson Dart hater. Um, part of it's a spring game. I don't really like to judge if a guy looks good in the spring game, but if they look really shaky, that's kind of scary. And I get it's a new offense with a lot of new players around him. Uh, so I am I'm willing to be a little more forgiving. Um, but but didn't look great in that game. I, I don't know how good Ole Miss is going to be next year. I don't know how good that offense is going to be. Um, they did just add Jalen Robinson, but it's kind of trig Robinson, and then it's a lot of question marks. Uh, who do we who Mingo. else do we like there? Do we like Mingo, who can't mm-hmm. seem to stay healthy? Do we like um, uh, the kid from Louisville that you remind me of his name every single time we talk about this? Watkins. Yes. Uh, do we like him? Like, is there somebody else that emerges? Um, they're going to have a stable of running backs again. So, are, will they lean a little heavier on that end of things? So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so to put on my hater hat for a minute, I think Jackson Dart is a guy that's dropping a little bit for me. Again, I have him ranked kind of highly. After a quarterback four, or I think it's quarterback five in my rankings, I don't know who to put. I don't know who to put. So he is in my top like eight just by default. The top five for me, no particular order. I'm just tossing out names here. If you want to see all of my rankings for Debbie or C2C, you can check them out at campusdecant.com. Uh, shameless plug. Um can- Caleb Williams, Quinn Ewers, CJ, Bryce, and Devin Brown. Those are my top five. After that, I just don't know. I I really don't know what to do. So uh, he occupies a decent spot. We'll see what happens this year. I feel like we'll see a lot of movement uh, in that six to 10 range season. Yeah. Like you said, this, his ranking for me, he's my fit QB five. So I have him ranked one spot ahead of Devin Brown. Oh, you fool. I mean, we haven't seen it with Brown at all. And, you know, maybe it's that maybe it's that Matt Bruning rubbing off on me. But I, you know, there's a non-zero chance that Kyle McCord is the starter next year. So, you know, that that's enough to give me a little bit of hesitation. Uh, I believe in, in Dart. I would be surprised if Dart is not the starter this year. Uh, so that's enough to break that tie for me. But, yeah, after that, after the top four, um, it start you start start to get into a situation where I don't really feel super great about anybody else there. And then once you hit like nine, 10, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot. I don't, I don't feel strongly about any of those guys in that range after that, you know, those guys that we like, but you know, a lot of question marks after that. So I, I, I still believe in Jackson Dart though. He's my QB five. All right. So, what if I told you? Know, I said we have two duos in this list. What if I told you the other one is this next uh, slot here, number five? Do you believe me? You have the list in front I of would. you. Of course, you'd believe me. I, of course, yeah. I would it's Caleb you. Williams and Mario Williams, the Williams Bros. They're not really related. Uh, headed from Oklahoma over to USC with Lincoln Riley, part of the uh, uh, the diaspora out of Norman this year after Lincoln Riley left. Um, Williams, I think everybody by this point knows him flashed last year, took over that job, uh, from, uh, Spencer Rattler was the top rated quarterback in his class. I mean, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, dual, dual threat kind of guy. Uh, Mario Williams, uh, some of us uh, here at campus can't really, really like him. I'm fine with him. Um, uh, 35 catches, 380 yards and four touchdowns operated mostly short intermediate stuff 
Um, they looked good even in the spring game. They seemed to like each other. Uh, like, as we've said before, USC is going to have to throw the ball 50 game because that defense is terrible. Um, do we feel pretty good about Mario Williams? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, overall following their coach over to USC is a great move for them. You know, I mean, it's, it's pretty much status quo for Caleb Williams. Like you said, you're probably going to have to throw like 50 times a game. So his CFF numbers will probably be inflated a little bit, but he still has the opportunity to learn and develop under Riley, who has proven to develop quarterbacks for the NFL. So, you know, no real big change there for him. You know, we loved this for Mario Williams initially, uh, and then they get Jordan Addison. And, you know, now I think Jordan Addison is probably going to be that wide receiver one there, despite the rapport that Caleb Williams has with Mario Williams already. You know, Jordan Addison is just, I think, a more talented wide receiver. You know, that's not a knock on Mario Williams. I think he's fine. I think he's he's a solid wide receiver. I think he has a chance to go in the first round when he does come out. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see the year this year that we thought we were going to originally. Um, I still think he'll be productive for CFF. He'll have some nice weeks, again, just for the sheer volume. And because beyond Jordan Addison and Mario Williams, there's a lot of bodies there uh, on the depth chart at wide receiver for USC, but nobody that we feel great about. So, yeah, I mean, I, he's it's it's fine for him. You know, I, I think it's a solid move, but it's more of a, a wait until the next until next year, until 2023. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's undeniable these are both going to be good players, but the reason that they're not higher on the list and they're still pretty high, I mean, they're top five, uh, is because it's the same offense they would have had in Oklahoma with the same head coach with each other. So in terms of trying to paint them as you know, this is an improvement for their stock, assuming that nothing else around them, you know, Lincoln Riley stayed there. There was really no difference in reality. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly if this accomplishes anything for their value. They, they, Caleb Williams entered the offseason as the top four quarterback for virtually everybody. He's still a top four quarterback for everybody. Mario Williams probably entered, depending on who you are, how crazy you are from like 10 to 20 in that range somewhere, probably closer to 10. He probably still in that range for you. Like, I don't think this really moved the needle for either of them, but I do think it's good that they both went together. I'd feel yeah. a lot worse about Mario Williams with Dylan Gabriel. And likewise, I'd feel worse about Caleb Williams. Uh, he has Jordan Addison now, but I mean, he would have been him with a bunch of scrubs, basically. Gary Bryant's fine. CJ Williams, we don't know. Everybody else there, like, I just don't really rate any of them. So um, I, I think this is, you know, it's a good pairing. They like each other, obviously. They have what appears to be good chemistry. Uh, I don't know that this is a boost for any of them, but again, it's definitely not a a, a shift down. So I'm happy with uh, having them here at five, and I think they'll they'll both have uh, pretty darn good seasons. Yep. Yeah. Um, number four, Colin, and this one arguably could have gone higher. That we had mm-hmm. kind of had a tough time ranking these these top four. Really, was was where the cutoff was. Well, number one was a little easier, but like you said, it's a little bit of a cheat. Uh, so Jermaine Burton going from from Georgia there over to uh, a team they beat in the national championship game, Alabama um, would be fun if, if both teams make it to the championship again, this year and Alabama wins and he, he gets both uh, championships that would certainly uh, 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 make for some fun arguing amongst fans uh, <laughs> on the interwebs. Um, so Burton has been 
the Georgia offense just can't really support a high end wide receiver for fantasy purposes. It just is what it is. Um, Bowers obviously produced very well as a tight end last year, but like if he was a wide receiver, you wouldn't have wanted to really start him. Um, 27 and 26 catches is his two years there. He's always been kind of cast as, as a deep ball guy there. And I think he's more than that, but it doesn't seem like they were ever going to use him as more than that. Um, so I do think it's a good thing that he's getting away from Georgia, away from just this kind of go deep role. I have a feeling Alabama is going to use him a lot differently, especially with Tyler Harrell there. Like, are they, are they going to use him more as John Mechie than than what Jamison Williams, which is kind of what we thought they were going to do? I, I don't know. But regardless, I think he'll get to show a more diverse route uh, route, you know, kind of skill set this year. Um, but he also has to perform. If he doesn't, that is absolutely a killer for him. Yeah, it's it's definitely a killer if he doesn't perform. But I'm not really that worried about it. I think he's going to perform barring injury. You know, he's battled the injury bug a little bit. Um, so, you know, he'll still have to fight that off. But all reports at a spring have been that he's looked like the best receiver there. You know, and reports from Georgia before where he was roasting some of those corners. You know, he was making some of those corners look silly. And those are really good corners. Um, you know, so it's not like he wasn't good at Georgia. He just wasn't really utilized properly. And I think him going to Alabama on an Alabama team that needed some help at wide receiver, they had to go out and bring in somebody. And I think they got one of the best options that they could have gotten. Um, I like Jermaine Burton. I like his skill set a lot. And then you pair him with Bryce Young. So it's good quarterback play. And he's going to should be and I believe is going to be the wide receiver one for Alabama. I think he's almost a shoe in for first round draft capital next year. I, you know, I've said it before. I'm going to keep pounding that, uh, keep pounding that drum there. I think this is a huge move for him. Whereas if he was stayed at Georgia, you know, and still put up, you know, 35 catches, you know, for 600 yards and, you know, six touchdowns or whatever it ended up being, you know, cause he would have just, taking the top off and played that deep role. Yeah. He would have gotten drafted because he's a, you know, good wide receiver skill set. He's fast, he's athletic and he's at Georgia. But like I said, I think this is really going to vault him into the first round. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and no, um, no disrespect to uh, Stetson Bennett, obviously a, a, a hero for life down there in Georgia, uh, but, but the, the upgrading quarterback, uh, the upgrading offensive system, um, I, I think that's going to really going to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, it's everything out of spring has said that he's looked good and he has been the wide receiver one. So, yeah. Um, so let, let, I think let's get ready to rumble there with him. Uh, speaking of players going from, from the state of Georgia over to Alabama, uh, Jameer Gibbs is number three. And this one's a tough one because his value it's relative at the top. You know, this guy was it was a top five running back for everybody. Uh, there's like one or two people that that would uh, say otherwise, but top five running back for the majority of people going to Alabama doesn't really raise his profile that much. But we will get to we, we've said for basically for the past two years, like what if, what if, what if, what if he's actually in a decent offense? What if, uh, you know, he actually gets a, a decent offensive line? He can run a little bit between the tackles, like blah 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 blah. We are going to get to see all of that play out this year at Alabama. He's been Gibbs has been deadly as a receiver, and we still figure that he probably will be. Um, 
it's a deep running back room. They will rotate. He's not going to be like, you know, 85% backfield dominated rating probably, but um, all he has to do is just be a little more efficient between the tackles. And he's like, there's, there's very few questions on him, assuming he weighs in over 205. Yeah. I mean, the the size is really the only thing, assuming he performs at Alabama, like we think he's going to, and, you know, like he did at Georgia tech, uh, you know, assuming that the size is really the only question mark on him um, for, in terms of NFL future, but doing it at Alabama versus doing it at Georgia tech is going to be huge for his draft stock, obviously. And while he's probably not around one running back, I think he's, he's an early day two guy, assuming that he can, like I said, do what he did at Georgia tech, but just do it at Alabama and, you know, be maybe a little bit more efficient between the tackles with, you know, what should be a good offensive line. It's Alabama. Yeah. And the rest of the backs on that roster, you know, it kind of sucks for, you know, McClellan because I think that that's going to hurt McClellan a little bit. You know, he'll have to have, they'll have to be like some sort of a thunder to Gibbs's lightning, but you probably don't want Gibbs handling all the work anyway, you know? So I, I think this is a great all around move for Gibbs. Um, and we should be looking at some good CFF production here as well. We're at Georgia tech, you know, it was kind of hit or miss. I, uh, I just got him at the one Oh nine in a startup that I'm doing right now. And it felt Ooh. like I stole him a little bit, What? Just a little, just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. How? Um, so in fairness, like he, he, he belongs in this tier and it's a, it, it's a, it's a decent sized tier. The guys that went before him were the four big quarterbacks. Right. Um, Bijan Travion, Bijan Travion, Boutte JSN. And that takes you right to nine. So like, all right. Okay. It, it's not like get outrageous. It. It's the first time I've personally experienced it happen. Um, and it made me very, very happy. Um, so I, I do expect a really big year out of him. I think he's a top 10 CFF running back probably. Uh, and then, um, you never know. I mean, some team could fall in love with him in the first round, man. I mean, I wouldn't some, rule it out. Some stupid RB picks go in the first round. Like, let's let's be honest. So, um, uh, who the heck knows? But yeah, I think this is a really good spot for him. And regardless of what NFL teams want to tell you, they the fact that he's at Bama means so much more than him being at Georgia Tech. Like, yeah. the, uh, let's just be real. Um, so, um, number two, Quinn Ewers headed from Ohio State back to Texas. Uh, if you have your tinfoil hat on, uh, you're probably saying that. This was the plan all along that he went to Ohio State, that he made a lot of money, that he then came back. Uh, I actually kind of believe that as well. I don't know if it was the plan from day one, but, uh, you know, that reclassification and that year was kind of a wasted year for him from a development standpoint. Let's be honest. He could have played a senior year of high school. Would that level of competition matter to him? You know, what would that have helped him out? I don't really know. But now a year and a half since he's really played a lot of football is a little bit worrisome. But going to Texas, Sark offense like the weapons galore there at this point they they like they're they wide receiver they're just so ridiculously deep they have Nayor, they have worthy they have whittington they have um uh tariq milton went down there like they and then at running back it's it's Bijan, it's roshan johnson it's jonathan brooks it's it's uh keelan robinson it's Jaden blue probably won't even see the field this year because it just how how stacked they are at running back uh jaleel billingsley jatavian sanders like this team offensively is loaded if the line can hold up Ewers is going to have a big year from a value perspective. If he had sat another year at Ohio state sitting two years, that would have really, really hurt him. 
now going to Texas, he's going to be the guy and he don't let anybody fool you. He, he's going to be the, the, the year long starter there. Um, and I think we finally get to see what he can do. I'm really, really, really excited for this kid. Yeah, I am too. I think that this is, this is almost cheating a little bit too, putting him at number two, but given that if he had stayed at Ohio state, that he would still be behind CJ Stroud. And, you know, like you said, now he's sitting two years. It's he's not played at all for two years. It's, it would have been worrisome, but going to Texas. Yeah. He's going to be the guy. Um, I like, I still think there's a non-zero chance card starts week one. Um, or they both work in week one. Cause I can't remember who they get in week one, but it's not anybody good. UL Monroe, I think. Um, so they both might get some time in that game, but either way, Ewers is going to be the guy long-term there surrounded by weapons in a very friendly offense. So I think regardless of what you think of Ewers pro potential, which I think most of us are on board with him having good pro potential, he's going to produce for CFF. I mean, if Casey Thompson can produce, yeah, Hudson, or, uh, Quinn Ewers is going to be able to produce too. So I think this is a big stock up for Ewers. Um, but I, was this always the plan? I don't know. I don't necessarily know. I think reclassifying definitely was about getting the bag. Who knows if he was ended up going to go back to Texas or not. But going back to Texas, big stock up. Yeah, that that offense again. It's, if they if their offensive line is even average this year, because that's really what killed them last year, uh, and the fact that their quarterbacks couldn't consistently push the ball downfield, um, which yours will be more than happy to do. Um, so I think just having that extra element uh, really helps that offense. Um, it, yeah, it's just a loaded offense. I, I, I they're going to struggle with Bama. Everyone's going to shit all over them, and then they're going to be great the rest of the year. And that yep. that Bama game's week two, so um, they get like one warm up game, and then and then they get crushed. But that's fine. Um, Number one on our list, and again, this was a little bit of a cheating answer, but that's okay. Cameron Ward, quarterback headed to Washington State. Is he the best player on this list? No. Is he the player that I want the most on this list? No. But he, from going from a guy that no one really knew about at all a year ago in this space, obviously, you know, was not a Division One player, FCS, uh, Incarnate Word, uh, to go from there uh, to an offense that, has a lot of wide receiver talent around him in Washington State with a head coach and an offense coordinator that that wants to use a system that he's familiar with that has produced uh, a lot of you know high end production in the past for quarterbacks uh, and, and a guy with all the physical tools. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an obvious uh, uh, biggest stock up of the year. I mean, some people have him in their top you know seven, ten quarterbacks. I'm not quite that high, but close enough um i i don't know what else to say i mean i it's it's going to be a really good offense i mean after in supplemental drafts this offseason a lot of drafts have had quinn ewers i would take him over him and then actually today i was faced with a decision at a 102 in a supplemental between him and devin brown i took brown uh but ward was my third player on the list and i would have been happy to take him over just about anybody else in a freshman supplemental draft at this point so how high are you putting cameron ward yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big stock up for him here, too, if if nothing else, because, like you said, he had zero value before. Um, he's just outside my top 10 quarterbacks right now. I have him at 11. Um, and he's right there with Anthony Richardson. I think they're both in similar situations where they need development um, in order to have an NFL future. But they have tools, and they should both put up some nice production 
on the CFF side. So I have those two right back to back there. Like you said, Cameron Ward, he's going to put up some nice numbers this year. It's just, he is, you know, um, Washington state in the PAC 12, the PAC 12, not overly daunting, you know, he's going to put up some nice numbers. The big question with Cam Ward is what is his NFL future? That's not something we have an answer to yet. You know, he has a lot of the tools that we like to see, but he was also doing it at incarnate word, you know, now we're going to see him at at least the power five level. Um, you know, so he'll have some games where he's going to get to show, you know, what he's got. And, and if he's got the the makeup that an NFL team is going to like. So, yeah, this is definitely the biggest stock up because his stock was at zero. Yeah, um, I, I, and he's he's going to do really, really well there. I mean, they were very explosive in the spring game. They're, they're going to just overpower a lot of defenses they play this year. Uh, I have no doubt that he's going to be a big CFF guy. My only hesitation on him is the NFL side. Uh, jumping up from FCS uh, in an offense that traditionally uh, NFL teams have been wary about selecting guys from really. I mean, um, and it's, are, are, I'm not sure if they're exactly air raid or a little more run and shoot. They might be a little bit of both, um, but traditionally not an offense that has adapted that well. And the NFL is as particularly liked. So uh, I am a little hesitant there, but you know, if you get a if the NFL doesn't come calling when you get two or three years out of him where he's just a mega producer, or quarterback, it's not the worst thing in the world, especially in supplemental drafts. I, I wouldn't take him to a little later in a startup, but um, alas. Um, honorable mentions here. We each picked a couple names, Colin. Um, I don't need you to go in detail on any of these guys, but just kind of give me your thoughts on on these four um, that, that you've chosen here. Yeah, so I chose four people for the honorable mention here. And, you know, like we said at the beginning, this list could be 80 players deep. We could have so many players on this list, so many transfers to talk about. Um, I just wanted to highlight four. First one, uh, Mitchell Tinsley, wide receiver, Penn State, um, coming from Western Kentucky. You know, then he, he before Western Kentucky, he was at the JUCO level. So this is a guy who has just kept climbing the levels, and he has performed at each spot. You know, he had a huge year last year. This is going to be a big year for him at Penn State, um, but they have some they have some opportunity there. So I think he's going to be able to capitalize on that. Um, next one, I have Spencer Rattler. You know, everybody remembers the game where he got benched and where the fans were calling for Caleb Williams. And then Caleb Williams comes back and, you know, leads that overtime game or that uh, comeback game against Texas. So everybody remembers that. And there's a very negative perception around Spencer Rattler right now. People forget like just how talented he was. You know, people were talking about him as a potential number one overall pick just a year ago. And yeah, he kind of struggled a bit last year and he definitely showed some flaws, but he's going to the SEC. He's going to South Carolina. Um, and I think if, you know, he can get his head right, I think that you could see a really nice rebound from him. Um, then the next two I have on the list here are old, both Ole Miss players. Um, first one, Jalen Robinson. Jalen Robinson was kind of a forgotten guy at UCF. Like we talked about a little bit with, when we were talking about Dylan, Dylan Gabriel, that's not really a passing offense that you want to invest in. Uh, it's not a passing offense that the NFL would have wanted to invest in, especially being from the G5 level. Now Jalen Robinson goes to Ole Miss in the SEC on a team that is starving for some receiver talent. Uh, I think he could have a really nice bounce back year this year. And I think he's going to make himself some money and end up getting drafted. Uh, whereas before probably would have gotten drafted, but I think it would have been really late. Um, 
And then the last one, Zach Evans, Zach Evans, um, TCU to Ole Miss. It's he's in the SEC. He's going to be handling, you know, 50 percent of the work, maybe 60 percent of the work. He doesn't seem like he wants to be a bell cow here in college, but he's still extremely talented. This is an offense where, you know, we're not going to quite get the production that we wanted out of Evans because it seems like they're going to split it up, but he can still be really productive. And, you know, if he keeps his efficiency up, um, you know, I think he's a guy that he's, he's probably looking at some day two draft capital here. Yeah. Why not? Um, all, all good picks there. Um, I chose three names. Uh, first one, Bo Nix. I can't believe I've been saying this out loud recently, um, but Bo Nix has kind of turned into a guy that I want to roster. That's about as bold as I'm going to get. He's the kind of guy that I think could be a first round draft pick. Like, no, it's, he's a guy that could be a top 10 CFF quarterback. No, I'm not going to say either of those things. And I don't think either of them are going to happen, but I do think he's a guy that at this point, like he's such a, a meme that I, that the value is basically nil. Oregon's going to be a functional offense this year. The Oregon would have been, in my opinion, a very strong offense last year if they actually had even like, like hundredth yeah. percentile that is bad, right? So you want like, like if we had had like 25th percentile quarterback play out of Oregon, they would have been a pretty solid offense, but they didn't. They had a very strong backfield, uh, a ton of talent, at wide receiver. Uh, and then Anthony Brown just, crap the bed over and over and over again he wasn't even good enough to play at boston college i don't know why oregon thought that this was a good idea um maybe that tells us how bad uh, thompson and some of these just other guys were getting astray for, over here you um, just wanted to oh are you a thompson are you a thompson fan i forgot about that um bo nix going in there like bo nix has really done some stupid shit over the years on a football field just like he is he is the most lucky stupid quarterback i've ever seen in my life he repeat every game does at least two or three things that you think I wouldn't have even done that. It's it, it's just mind-numbingly stupid. Um, but he also has, you know, he has got an NFL arm. Uh, he's mobile. He can run. Um, and he's never really played with a very good offensive line or really a very good s- group of skill guys around him. So I, I think Bo Nick's going to Oregon. It's going to be the best offensive line he's ever been with. He's going to have a running game behind him. He has, you know, a ton of, of really good wide receivers there. Uh, I, I think Bo Nix is a guy that I actually want to roster. I, I'll probably be drafting him uh, in a couple places. That, this that I have like two startups coming up, so uh, I'll probably try to get him in both of those. Uh, Nathaniel Pete, running back, going from Stanford to uh, 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 Missouri. I find myself drafting a lot of him. Uh, if he gets that job, and it seems like he's the front runner, uh, we really like the the number one running back at at Missouri there. Uh, and I think that offense as a whole is a little underrated if they can even get again moderately decent quarterback play. And then Antoine Wells Jr., the third one coming up uh, from FCS to South Carolina, it sounds like he could be the wide receiver one there. And they do have a fairly decent wide receiver room, um, uh, pretty good size. He's he's an explosive athlete. Uh, I want to see how this offense holds all fits together. There is definitely a scenario where, you know, they have all these puzzle pieces and it just doesn't work. Um, and I, I could definitely see that playing out, but there's also a lot of scenarios where the puzzle pieces do come together and that this offense looks pretty solid there in the sec uh, and South Carolina surprises some people this year. So uh, if that latter happens and I think, you know, we're talking about Wells uh, this time next year. So, and then just some other names to throw out that obviously were big names that we didn't mention here tonight. Kamar Wheaton from Bama to, 
uh, SMU there. Tyler Harrell, again, uh, from Alabama. We did offhandedly mention him when we were talking about Jermaine Burton. Keaton Slovis, USC, uh, to Pitt, Jacob Cowing uh, over to Arizona. Uh, Kanata Mumfield, Akron to Pitt as well. Tavion Robinson heading over to Kentucky. Um, anybody else? Know? Trey Benson is actually another one that's kind of sneaky um, from Oregon to FSU. Uh, so, And there are obviously others as well. So uh, let us know your favorite that we didn't mention. Uh, how's that sound? Tweet at us or, or drop in the Discord if you're a member or anything like that. Uh, all right, Colin, before we get into freshman profiles here, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, uh, did you cook dinner tonight? I did. Yeah. You did? Okay. I did. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the people were probably worrying that I'd forgotten. Uh, I did not forget. Um, what'd you cook? Uh, so my brother uh, is up visiting. Um, so I made dinner for him and my fiance. And I made quesadillas, um, like homemade quesadillas, like cooked and chopped up the chicken, cut up some green peppers, threw it in, threw it all in there. It was some taco seasonings, cheese, um, put it on a skillet, beans, and I cast iron skillet. I did not put beans. in. Uh, you dropped the ball, man. You dropped the ball. I mean, I could have put beans in there, but I, I don't know. I've never really been a huge beans in my quesadilla fan. Like. I like to mix beans with my rice, not not as much in my like burritos or tacos. I'll eat them at Chipotle. Could put rice in there as well, and then you know now you now you're now you're. I could have. I mean, I cooked rice on the side too, but okay. But yeah, made some uh, made some quesadillas. Very nice. Uh, I'm surprised you put green peppers in there. They're green. You don't eat green, right? Uh, not normally, no. But they're they're green bell peppers. So and you like green bell peppers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, do you like, like any other? Do you, so do you like other colored bell peppers before we yes. finish this, this segment? Up yeah, here you do. Yeah, I'm okay. good with the, like all of the all of the good bell peppers. Um, I can eat jalapenos too, um, poblanos. Like I, I like peppers. It's two weeks in a row, you've just absolutely blown my mind on this. <laughs> By my goal, Colin, here over the next five years is to introduce you to some five veggies years. that you say you don't like. Yeah, we got to go slow. Um, okay. I bet we can get you to like some other veggies. I'm starting to think that maybe you're not as hopeless as I thought you were initially. And that's the perfect word. I, th- I thought about that for a second before I dropped hopeless. But mm. Well, thank you. I appreciate yes. that. No, my a lot of credit to, uh, to my fiance for broadening my palate somewhat. Because mm-hmm. when I was cooking for myself, there were no veggies yeah, at that all. That doesn't surprise me none um all right colin there's two freshman profiles we both picked running backs uh away we go uh my running back uh tavoris jones a four-star running back uh out of texas 510 195 so solid size but definitely could stand to add some weight there uh, biggest concern as far as that goes is he's kind of got a scrawny lower half. So I'm not exactly sure what his ceiling is weight wise. Um, I think, you know, 15 pounds is generally what people project for running backs. That would put him at 210 pounds. Um, that would be that would be phenomenal. But I think if he can get to 205, I'd be happy with that. Uh, but as a rusher, uh, he's he's a bursty rusher i think he's got um good speed you know you routinely see him running away from uh his from defenders and that's you know one of the big things with him as a runner is he relied mostly on his speed now it worked and it worked in texas is it going to work in the sec 
I'm, I'm not entirely sure you. So I, I do want to see him, um, you know, convert some of that speed to power, you know, use his contact balance. Cause don't really see any of that on there. He does not really finish runs off. Um, you know, he's, he's more of a, more of a shifty kind of a guy. Um, but his big appeal for me is his ability as a receiver. Uh, I think he's one of, if not the best receiving back in this class. I mean, they routinely split him out wide, he catches passes very well, looks very natural doing it. Um, and I think that is really going to, uh, he had 33 catches as a sophomore um, at, at the running back position. But I, I think it's really going to open him up for a role at the uh, at Missouri there. Now, my big concern with him at Missouri is they just brought in Pete. Uh, and I believe Pete has two years of eligibility left. So you're going to have to wait a little bit to get him. I, I thought Tavoris Jones could be, you know, one sit for one year and then pretty much be a perfect Tyler Beatty replacement. It seems like maybe we have to wait for two years for that. I'm not entirely sure at this point, you know, we'll see how this year shakes out, but it seems like it's going to be Pete. Um, so that has knocked him down a little bit, but overall he's still a running back that I'm high on. Um, especially like I said, if he can get up to that 205 to 10 mark and keep the athleticism, you know, if he can show a little bit more power, uh, I think he's a guy that has an NFL future too. Uh, I'm pretty skeptical. He has an NFL future, like a real NFL future. Um, I don't know. I'd push back on a lot of what you said. I'm not sure after like seeing his off season, I'm not sure he'll ever really play there. There's so many bodies in front of him. There are a lot of bodies there and that, that does worry me after, you know, we've moved through spring, but uh, I still like the talent. So I've been uh, kind of doing like some off season adjustments. I mean, my, my real rankings on these freshmen, like I consider like before spring starts, but obviously I have to keep updating them um, yeah. to stay current. So like at this, like at this point, I don't, I have him in my tier four. I've dropped him uh, a considerable amount. Uh, I'm just not sure he's RB 25 for me now. I'm just not sure that there's any real long-term, uh, real long-term upside like he really has to get this job by year two otherwise like you can't have this dude sitting on your bench for multiple years like you just in doing nothing it just doesn't work so i i don't know I, he's very very risky he feels a little bit like a deshaun morell was last year for a lot of people mm. i don't hate that comparison um i guess i think he's more talented than morell is but Situationally similar. Um, morale was hot. Was hot. Uh, hot news last year. All right, I picked Cartavius Norton. Uh, first time I've talked about him on this show. I did go on Future Freshman, which drops on Fridays on the C two C podcast feed, uh, hosted by Brandon Sanders. So go ahead if you aren't listening to that podcast weekly and check that out. And I went on a couple weeks ago. I talked about Cartavius Norton as one of the guys that I'm really high on in this class, and actually. Again, I'm about that. This article is about to come out. Also features Cartavius Norton uh, as a guy that I, I'm really targeting heavy in uh, freshman supplemental drafts this year. Five eleven, two ten ish, heading up to Iowa State this year. Um, I'll open this, I guess. By I didn't, you know, I didn't really sit down and outline what I'm going to say here uh, beyond my my notes on him. He is the most <laughs> talented back on Iowa State's roster currently. I I wholeheartedly believe that. Uh, I know a lot of the hype this offseason in terms of the guy that's going to start there is Jarrell Brock, and I still think that probably happens at least to start the year, but 
like Phil Steele has Cartavius Norton as the RB one on the, on the team on this depth chart in, in the recent guide that just came out. Now, granted, he doesn't have 100 percent accuracy, but he's a guy that he sits down and talks to every single coaching staff in the country in the offseason, and that's how he kind of puts together this guide. So the fact that he did that and still has Cart- and put Cartavius Norton as RB one, I do think means something. Um, again, I'm not necessarily buying into that, but I do think he's the most talented back there. And even if it's not this year, by 2023, I think that job at Iowa State. It's going to be his. He has really nice size, really nice frame. I think his first step is really good. I think he's a one-cut kind of guy, north-south runner. Uh, it can be physical in the hole, but can also miss guys, uh, make guys miss. His footwork is pretty decent. Um, I think he's comfortable catching the ball. I'm not sure that he'll ever be a weapon in that regard. He does profile very similarly to David Montgomery, who was the back there before Brees Hall. Iowa State has... In the past five or so years, their back always puts up big stats, and it's almost it's pretty much a bell cow situation. Granted, I think that's probably also been on account of the talent they've had there, but it's I think it's clear at this point they probably have a pretty good eye for talent. So they went out and got Norton here, borderline three star, four star kid. I I really really like this match of player system size school i don't think he's going to get recruited over really in the next couple years i think again if it's not his job this year it's definitely his job by 2023 he's going super super late in supplemental drafts i can't really figure out why i would take him as early as like the fifth or sixth round depending on what you've got going on and maybe even earlier than that depending on the existing player pool um i just think this is a guy that uh feels like a slam dunk for me moving forward the nfl upside is is whatever i think it is there but like the call, like you just can't deny that he's going to smash in college, and 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 once you hit that that range in a, a freshman supplemental draft, that that's great. Like that that's what you're looking for. So I I'm I'm pretty all in on Cartavius Norton. Obviously, like not spending a first or a second round pick on the kid, but um, it wouldn't shock me if 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 this year if he gets that job, like a huge huge stock up, um, like an Alton McCaskill's type stock up uh, as the season goes on. Now I'm gonna have to go reach for him Sorry. in these drafts. I'm in a draft right now too. With with the Debbie Debate Listener League. Like they aren't listening to this as it comes out. <laughs> I'm so screwed now. That's a good point. Uh we're gonna be delaying the release of this episode. Um <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with everything that you said there. I've just like, like you said, like fifth, sixth round is typically where I start to look at him, and it just never fails that somebody has heard you talk about him somewhere and then they take him earlier than I'm expecting. And I don't end up with any of him. It's very frustrating. Um, but I, I like him a lot too. Uh, and especially like it was eye opening to see Phil Steele uh, have him listed as the RB one. Does he open the season as the RB one? Probably not. I don't think, but I think that Phil Steele listing him as the RB one signals that He's going to get some work this year, and he's going to have an opportunity to jump Brock on that depth chart. I've dropped Brock fairly significantly down my rankings this offseason, and I've moved Norton up fairly significantly. Um, You know, I think he was not included in our freshman supplemental guide, and I do think that was one of the uh, one of an oversight on our end. Him and Martinez are probably the two biggest. Wait, we don't have him in there? I don't think so. I think we do. I thought we did. I thought I wrote him up. Um, maybe you did. Maybe I just missed it. But if he is, I mean, he's low. If he's in there, I could have swore he wasn't in there. 
I don't know. I'm scrolling through it right now. Just give me a hot sec here. Yeah, I don't see him. Wow. That's actually surprising. I think I wrote him up, so he must not have made the final cut. Uh, what a bummer. Yeah, I'm drafting him pretty high. I, I like him more than a lot of these names. So, Where do you have him amongst this class now? I know you said you know after spring you kind of shook up some things a little bit here. Yeah, I think shift after spring a little bit. And just as you know, we get more information, obviously it should. Uh, but again, I think like the ones in terms of like my rankings that count, like I have different tabs and and I have one that's pre-spring and that's that's the one that I use um, uh, moving forward. When I say like I had this guy as RB whatever in the class, mm -hmm. I have Cartavius Norton at this point as RB 15. And that feels kind of low, but this is a very strong running back class. And like I have him in a range with the following backs here at the top of tier three, Jordan James. Uh, at Oregon there, Javante Barnes, Oklahoma, Katron Allen, Penn State, Justin Williams, Tennessee, Andrew Paul, Georgia, Emmanuel Henderson, Alabama, Ashton Genty, Boise State, Cartavius Norton, and then Quinchon Judkins and Jalen Glover right below him. Ollie Gordon and Damian Martinez. That's my tier three. It's a pretty good tier three. It's guys that either, you know, I question, is there actual NFL upside? Um, but they'll, they'll probably smash in college or the opposite. Like, is there a lot of Debbie upside? But I don't really know what's going to happen with them. Uh, that's kind of this tier. I, I, it's a lot of good players, I think. Yeah, he was. I, I have the list up here now. He was not included in the supplemental guide. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but yeah, go get him. Maybe I, maybe I took him out so that I could have him all to myself. You probably did. No one surprised me at all. Very nefarious. Um, that's going to do it for tonight, guys. Again, head over to Campus to Canton, check out everything we have over there. If you're not checking out the other podcasts on the feed, uh, go ahead and and check all the, all of them out. Basically, anything you'd ever want to to span uh, your college football uh, fantasy needs, we've got on there. Check out the YouTube page; we're always putting up new videos over there as well. Again, check out the Debbie Guide that just released uh, 261 player profiles, ton of advanced stats, and, and other really good information. And uh, in about a month, be on the lookout for our CFF guide, which will be coming out. And I've seen the mockups and some of the early profiles, guys. It looks amazing. It and it's going to be a ton of good information. Um, so all those things are going to be available uh, here for members or non-members. Um, again, campus2canton.com. Again, please rate and review. It really, really helps the show. Until next time, guys, I'm Austin. And this is Colin. And have a good one.